Good morning. How are you today? Super Sunday. You know, I kind of like to think the Super Sunday is redundant, but it is Super Bowl Sunday. How many of y'all think Seahawks today? Let me see. Let me hear from you. Patriots. Don't care. <laughs> you know, when God's team, the Cowboys, lost, who cares? I mean, it's just over at that point, so... I'm just kidding. I'm not sure that the Cowboys are still God's team. I still, I'm having some theological issues with that, but I'm said I'm not sure. There's no need to hiss. In a probe. My goodness. It is great to be in the house with you this morning. I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a confession, but I'm going to ask you to share with me your thoughts on this subject after I tell you mine. And remember that this is family time, so However you answer this question, it'll stay in this room. Nobody will ever use it against you or bring it up again outside of this room. You know, pastoral confidentiality with a few hundred of our closest friends in the same room. My confession is this. I love Las Vegas. I love Vegas. I think Vegas is a fascinating place. Now, I've put myself out there a little bit. Let me ask you, how many of you like Vegas? Let me just see a show of hands. We had some people stand up and cheer in the first service. We had a special prayer intervention for them. But I think Vegas, let me explain to you why I love Las Vegas. I've, I've been like two or three times in my life, and I do not go wild. I don't do crazy things when I'm there. But I'm fascinated by Vegas because I believe that no person on earth understands people like Vegas understands people. I mean, Vegas gets it. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. They take what they know in order to prey upon us at our absolute weakest and most vulnerable when we're in Vegas. But they understand people better than anybody else I've ever been around. And, you know, we, of course, all know that the ad campaign, right? What happens in Vegas? See, that's a great ad campaign. When you can use that in church and everybody knows it, they've done their job. But I, I think... It's interesting because a lot of people I've heard actually believe that, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so when they go to Vegas, it's as if they're not really doing what they're doing. And, and what they do there just stays there and it doesn't really count. You know what I'm talking about? Don't answer this, but you know hypothetically what I'm talking about. And, and I, I bring that up because I think a lot of people inadvertently and, and maybe even subconsciously do the same thing with church. It's as if what happens at church stays at church. And we've kind of created this, this bifurcation between church world and the rest of our world. And so what happens on Sunday morning, man, that's Sunday morning, and every now and then we'll go check it out, and it's cool. Or maybe we're there every single week, no matter what, come hell, high water, broke, busted, disgusted, we're in the house. But if you read the Bible, if you look at how God describes church and the church gathered together, there is no separation between what happens on Sunday and the rest of the week or what happens in the church versus what happens outside the building of the church. And for the last few weeks, we've kind of looked at the reality of life. We've talked about icebergs and the fact that every single person in this life who's been alive for, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes has encountered an iceberg. We've all come up against those things that are that are tough, that maybe are devastating. We've talked about baggage. We've talked about anger. Last week we talked about the iceberg of secrets and how those things can actually torpedo 
relationships and careers and marriage and companies. And this weekend, I, I was going to wrap up this series by talking about another iceberg in particular, when God just kind of hit me in the head with a two-by-four a few weeks ago as I was studying and praying through and researching this series, I came across something that absolutely changed the trajectory, not only of this series, but how I look at and how I approach icebergs in my life personally. Now, I've got a picture that I want to show you of an iceberg, the one that you know, that this image that we're all familiar with, you take a look and you're like, ooh, ah. See, you can tell this was taken from a ship somewhere. It's beautiful. And, of course, we now know because of the great iceberg trivia challenge of 2015 that 90% of most icebergs' mass resides below the waterline. And the, the bulk of the hazard and the danger for icebergs is what goes on beneath the surface. But what a lot of people don't realize is that an iceberg... In God's economy, in the way God operates, an iceberg can actually be used as something beautiful. It doesn't have to be completely destructive in God's hands. And I got at this because I saw some pictures. I was, I was reading the Bible. I was praying, but I was also using God's research tool called Google. And I came across some pictures that a guy had taken that he had captured immediately after an iceberg had flipped in the ocean. Take a look at some of these pictures. I mean, it's just kind of like, look at that. Ooh, ah. Go, let's just do that together. Ah, it's, it's amazing. It looks like an emerald on top of the ocean. There's some more pictures you kind of see. I mean, it's just unbelievable that just a few hours before that was underwater. Now, an iceberg typically flips when it has broken off of a larger iceberg, their weight will shift, and as the iceberg melts, they will shift, and the larger ice formation will, what the, what the geologists call calving, an iceberg calves, and a smaller piece breaks off, and they break off kind of uneven, and in order to find their balance, that iceberg will flip in order to be able to ride on the water. But when it flips... What an amazing picture. Now, I don't, know, how many, I don't know if you don't watch the Discovery Channel. If you don't watch the Discovery Channel, you need to pray yourself right. That, that's just a missed opportunity. But there's so much that we can see and discover about who God is and about how he operates through the created order. We've talked about icebergs as a negative, and most of the time they are. But it is in God's hands in the gospel of Jesus Christ that icebergs are flipped into something beautiful. You know, a lot of people say that if you spend your whole life just flipping burgers, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in God's economy, flipping icebergs is a really good thing. You see what I did there? So we're talking about flipping bergs in order to use them for God's glory and for our good. This is how he operates. And what I said last week is so true. I think it's important for us to learn how to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we use the gospel in our lives day in and day out beyond what we talk about in here on Sunday in order to apply it even in the arena of icebergs in our lives? And to get at this, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul 
is writing to this fledgling congregation there in Rome and explaining to them the gospel, explaining the hope that we have because of who Christ is, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he's explaining this. Romans, the entire book of Romans is a work of philosophical genius. It, it is brilliant in its, in its illumination and the way that it explains the Christian worldview. But in Romans chapter 5, at the very beginning, Paul explains how to flip an iceberg. How do we get at this thing in order to make it a win? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been made right with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into, watch this, this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is saying here, look, you need to understand something. This whole thing, this whole Jesus thing is rooted in a person, in you or in me, choosing to stand in grace. When he talks about we are justified by faith, that means that when we place our faith in Christ, when we choose to trust Christ more than we trust ourselves, we say we surrender our lives to him. Then in that moment, there is a cosmic transaction by which his moral perfection is traded for our sin. Well, what, the fact that Jesus never sinned, the fact that he went to the cross and died in your place, then his Holiness, his moral perfection, is transferred into our spiritual account. That's what it means to be justified. It's an accounting term. We are made right with God because of Jesus. And the fact of the matter is that this is an act of amazing grace. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, grace is unbelievable. Some of you did the inflection correctly. Thank you so much. <laughs> grace really is amazing because, remember, grace means it is undeserved favor. Grace means that you cannot earn it. You, you can't do enough good things to make God go, oh, now you've passed. Here's the grace. By definition, grace is unearned. It is given by God because of who he is despite my sin, despite your sin. And, and this is so central as a matter of fact, as you heard in the announcements video earlier, those of you who are on time this morning, that we next week are going to start a series exploring grace next Sunday. The title of the series is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, The Story of Grace. And it is going to be amazing as together we look at what God says about how this grace plays out in our lives. I want to ask you a question. How many of you walked in here this morning with too much grace in your life? You just, you're just like, man, I, I, don't need, I, I need to get rid of some of this grace. Here's the deal. We all need grace. You need it. I need it. All God's chillin' needed. And the great thing about this series is that it transcends spiritual station in life. 
You may be a lifelong follower of Christ. You committed your life to Christ early in life and you've been chasing him, I mean, tooth and nail with everything that you've got. There's something more for you or for me in grace to discover and to explore and to express and live out. But by the same token, if you are not yet a Christ follower, or you have a friend who is not yet aware of the story of grace, this is the perfect opportunity to invite them, to share this grace, to be a vehicle of that grace. Now, every time we launch a new message series around here, we talk about inviting people. That's who we are. That's what we do as a church. If you don't like to invite people to church, you ain't going to like Lake Hills Church. I'm just telling you that because I love you, okay? Keeping it real. But when you walk out of here today, I'm asking every one of you to take three of these cards and invite somebody to come with you. They'll be in the lobbies on your way out. We're not passing them out in the service right now. But on your way out, I'm asking everybody, pick up three of these and invite somebody you know to discover the story of grace that we're starting next weekend. But this weekend, it actually applies where we live when it comes to icebergs. Paul says, I told, I told you we were talking about flipping burgers. Paul says, this is where you begin with this understanding of grace that, that you stand in the grace of God, that, that you recognize the fact that his grace is sufficient, period. Well, you say, well, sufficient for what? Yes, it is sufficient for everything. The grace and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that parted the Red Sea. Now, tell me what iceberg in your life is too big. Tell me what iceberg is beyond the hope and the scope of the grace of God. Paul says when we remember this, we stand in that grace. How many of you are married? Let me see a show of hands if you're, mar if you're married folk, okay? How many of you have been married more than 24 hours? Let me see a show of hands. If you've been married more than 24 hours, you know what it's like to get on different pages as husband and wife. Am I right or am I right? Don't answer. You know, it's just, and I'm not talking about a fight or a disagreement or, you know, you bought a boat, what we didn't talk about. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about different pages. This had Julie and I had, this happens to us. Right now, we're not even sleeping in the same room. That's just because she has the flu. But there have been other times, and I'm telling you, this has nothing to do with the sermon. Actually, this does have, I need grace because I would rather be sick for a month than have Julie sick for two days. How many men know what I'm talking about in the house? That is the worst. I mean, I hope she feels better, but I mean, seriously. <laughs> See, I get big and bad when she's not here. I'm just kidding. She's watching on home. Love you, hon. She's watching online at home. But you know, there are times when we get on different pages. There, there are times when it's just not clicking, and you're like two ships passing in the night at a distance. You know, distance. But it's in those moments that, that you choose to, to stand in grace. In the same grace that we received, we choose to extend. It's like, okay, the grace of Jesus Raised him from the dead, parted the Red Sea. I will stand in that grace and I will do what I can do to get back on the same page. 
so that the two will truly be one. And, and in that moment, I'm going to stand in grace because I don't have it in and of myself. But I will stand in grace. And that grace is amazing. That grace is not just about Easter and Christmas. That grace is every day grace. Stand in grace. The grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, look at this, Romans 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials and icebergs. For we know that they help us develop endurance. What in the world is Paul smoking? We rejoice when we encounter trials and challenges. We rejoice. Yay, trials! Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all are runners? Let me see a show of hands. If you're a runner in the house, raise your hand. That's awesome. I think that's great for you. <laughs> I, I've never liked to run. I do not enjoy it. People are like, oh, you just have to stick with it. Six years in, it'll just click, and you'll just start to love it, and the endorphins, it's awesome. Super. I don't like to run. I don't. But I know this. When I run, I build endurance. When I run, my VO2 max expands. When I run cardiovascularly, pulmonarily, I build endurance. And so sometimes against my better judgment, man, I run. I, I go do things in order to build that. And can we just admit that building endurance is rarely fun? Endurance is great. Look what I did. I did that. I, I ran a six-minute mile 30 years ago. I ran, I ran, I look at that endurance. That's great. But building endurance is not fun. But Paul says, because of the gospel, because of grace, we can rejoice, not because of what's going on. We don't go, oh, love the iceberg. Man, this iceberg is fun. Love the iceberg. Facing that disease, I just, just so, let's rejoice. No. Facing this relational challenge, facing this divorce, the loss of a loved one, the death of a dream, those things aren't fun. But in God's hands, when that iceberg flips over into something beautiful, we know that God is up to something. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it's a great verse to memorize. Romans 8, 28, for we know, say we know. We know that all things, including icebergs, work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We know all things. Now, let me encourage you to not share that with somebody who is in the middle of an iceberg moment. When people hit an iceberg, they do not want to hear a Bible verse. You, you, I mean, just don't. Just, you know what you say when somebody hits an iceberg? I love you, and you're not alone. That, that's how you love somebody. That's how grace lives out. Now, Romans 8.28 is true all the time. But when we share that, when we draw from that ourselves... 
is when we understand that God's up to something. God's flipping that iceberg in our lives for his glory and our good. That's how God operates. You see, God created you and he created me intimately linked to his glory. Whenever God is glorified, our life is better. Whenever our life is better, God is glorified. And so in grace that we stand, we can rejoice. And because we're rejoicing and we're standing, now we're growing in grace. We grow in grace. We, we get stronger in that grace. Yesterday I had the opportunity to go down to the Travis County Expo for a CrossFit competition, the Fittest Games. Massive competition, 450, I mean just beast mode athletes. Unbelievable. I got down there at 7.30 in the morning, and some of these guys, there was, a, there was a wave that had already had a competition. They were running a 5K. And these dudes came running in on a 5K. I'm talking about monsters, 220 pounds, 5% body fat, kind of people you don't even like. <laughs> running a 20-minute 5K. It's just just stupid. But what's true physically is also true spiritually. When we build endurance, we then grow in grace. We start to experience new corners of God's grace we didn't even know existed when we didn't need it. Now, that doesn't mean that God created the iceberg. It doesn't mean that God said, you know what? Time for you to have an iceberg. <laughs> Enjoy that's not how God operates, but in his goodness, in his grace, he will allow an iceberg in order to build endurance in us, in order to grow us up spiritually. You want to see the mark of a mature Christ follower? Somebody who really gets it? That's somebody who's flipping burgers. That's somebody who's looking at icebergs and going, what is God doing now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't get mad. God never says, you should always enjoy every iceberg. That's dumb. That's why God doesn't say it. God doesn't say dumb stuff. But God says, look for what I'm trying to show you. Look for what I'm trying to grow in you in that iceberg moment. And then as you stand in that grace, you grow in that grace. You develop. You get stronger. You build endurance and it's when you build endurance that God begins to use you and he uses your story of grace in this world look at what he says moving on in verse 4 we build endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation strength of character Man, how badly do we need people of strength, of character in this world? Man, I, I think about a friend of our family who was dating this guy. And, and he, he was, you know, he was okay. I mean, he's fine. But he, he was, he was kind of inattentive. He, he was kind of rude. He didn't really pay attention and and, and they would go to church and stuff. So he, I mean, you know, she thought he was a Christian or whatever, but he wasn't a man of strong character. 
He wasn't somebody that was there for her. And so we kind of looked at this because we care about this friend of ours. We're like, you know, <laughs> wow. And then when they broke up, we were like, yahoo! Now, we didn't say that to this friend of ours because she was really upset and everything. And we were like, it's okay. We understand. strength of character somebody who's there for the long haul somebody who has the wisdom of God at work in their lives somebody who is standing in that grace growing in that grace and then you see it lived out I, I hear this all the time not just from this friend of ours but but women girls who date guys who are just dogs I mean dogs whom God loves I recognize but dogs nonetheless and I hear women go, but he's so nice. No, he's not. If he's not a man of strong character, run. Run. That's the theological deep response. Get out. Now, if you're married, whole another sermon. But if you're not married, people of strong character are people who have flipped some icebergs in their life. People who have seen God show up and then grow them up in ways that they never dreamed possible. Endurance develops strength of character. So what this shows you is you then learn how to rely on grace. You rely on it. It's amazing what you go through Makes you stronger for what's next. And you look back and you go, you know what? I got through that one. I'm going to get through this one. Not because I'm big and bad only, but because of who God is. Because, because God's grace is big and bad. God's grace is bigger and badder than this iceberg that I'm facing. I've seen him do it. And so you rely on that grace. You rely on that strength. You rely on that endurance. But you know, it's interesting, every single time God gives us a blessing, and grace is a blessing, every time God gives us a blessing, it is always designed to spill out of our lives into other people's lives. Always. Doesn't matter what the blessing is. If it's a financial windfall, it's not just for you. If it's a relationship blessing, it's not just for you. God desires to use your blessings in other people's lives. This is what grace does in our lives, through our lives. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So when you receive that comfort, that grace from God, and you stand in it, you grow in it, you rely on it, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's going to use it in somebody else. God's going to use the grace he gives to you for somebody else. I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes put it this way, your misery almost always will be your ministry. Your misery will be 
your ministry. That iceberg that you've hit, that pain that you've endured, God will use that. Look for opportunities to use that in somebody else's life. I had a conversation recently with a friend that Julie and I have known for years and years, does not attend church here. And we were there kind of on the sidelines over a decade ago when her husband just kind of checked out. He just went, nah, I don't think so. Called a do-over. It was kind of, I mean, it was pitiful. And I'll never forget, because she had sons, I immediately thought back to my experience of watching my mom raise my brothers and me by herself. And I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, I just want you to know something. I'm sorry. Julie and I are here for y'all. I know you don't attend our church, but we love you. We love your boys. And I just want you to know that my mom raised me by herself. And you can do this. It's going to be harder than you ever imagined. God's going to be better than you ever dreamed. And you can do this. I had kind of forgotten about the conversation until a few days ago. She, we were at a gathering, and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, you called me about eight or nine years ago. And, and I'll never forget, when you, when you called, I, I was so grateful. I thought, man, this is, this is a pastor from a church I don't even go to, and he's going to be so sweet and, and encouraging. And Mac, you were not sweet. She said, but you were encouraging because you told me I could do it. She said, I don't even know if you remember that conversation. And as she was telling me this, I wasn't thinking about, man, what a great guy I was to pick up the phone. But I thought about my mom. I thought about what my mom went through as a single mom. Watching my dad walk out the door and turning back around to see a 12-year-old and two 10-year-olds that she had to raise by herself. And the number of times I saw my mom on her knees praying at night. The number of times that my mom had to step up and fulfill a role that she didn't sign up for. The number of times that our family was rescued personally and spiritually by the church, being the church. And I thought about the grace of God and I thought about the protective hand that he placed over us. And I thought, I, I never would have signed up for that job. I never would have registered for that trip. But to see how God used that in the life of a family that we don't really even know that well. To see how God used that in other people's lives. To see how God, in spite of me and through me, chose to comfort that mom of boys with the same comfort he had given my mom of boys. To comfort her sons like he had comforted my mom's sons. And I just saw it in, in HD 4K technology the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. The opportunity to comfort others with grace, to say, I've seen him do it. This isn't something I read about. I've seen God do this. 
And when you begin to see somebody who is using that in that way, when you use your own misery as a ministry, that's when you know the iceberg's been completely flipped. That's when you know that God has healed that scar. He's healed that wound. He's repaired the damage from that iceberg. And you can step back and go, amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. I don't know where you are right now. If you're in the middle of an iceberg moment or maybe you're still wrestling with the damage done by an iceberg. But I do know that grace in Jesus Christ is bigger than any iceberg that we ever encounter. That his grace is sufficient. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with Christ, we want to invite you to do it right now. To begin to stand in grace, to live in it, experience it, express it in a relationship with Christ. If that's you and God's leading you to do that, then I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. Just talk to God silently right where you are and just just say to him, just silently, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need, I want this grace that you offer. And so, Jesus, I confess my sin to you, all of it. And I claim your forgiveness. I accept your amazing grace. Once and for all. Jesus, I give you my life right now. If you would, I want to just ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. Because this is a holy moment. You know, we bow our heads in reverence for who God is and for what He does. And if that was your prayer today and you meant it, for the first time in your life with everything that you've got, you need to know that this church family celebrates that with you. That's the most important moment of your life. And as such, it needs to be marked. You need to stamp that, sear it in your mind, in your heart. And so as our heads are bowed, our eyes closed, if that was your prayer, I want to ask you just to mark this moment by raising your hand you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment and as you do we want to extend an invitation to you 
just let you know that we want to be a family of faith, a safe place for you to grow in that grace, to grow in that new relationship. And then we're excited for you. And so as a church that wants to be a family for you, wants to help in any way that we can to grow, for you to grow in that grace, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. That's why we're here.